way. Uh, it is a wonderful opportunity to bring God's word uh, to God's people this morning. Uh, it's been a joy for my wife Zandra and my mother Anne uh, to be a part of this congregation for the past several months. And uh, we're going to be looking at a topic this morning. It's a big topic. Uh, Decision-making and the will of God uh, from Colossians chapter 1 uh, and how to please Christ and how to make and keep him preeminent in our decision-making process. That's a true statement. We all make thousands of decisions each and every day. Obviously, some of them are weightier than others. Uh, what you chose to wear this morning is a lighter topic, hopefully, than a job relocation or moving across the country. But we do make thousands of decisions every single day. And some of them have numerous implications and consequences for oneself and possibly for others. This morning, uh, we have been updated on a very important decision for our church as they pray and seek for a lead pastor. And I've been using the prayer card that was given out to us. So in the mornings, I've been praying, and it's pray for the church, pray for the committee, uh, pray for our next pastor and his family uh, as they think through, pray through uh, a weighty decision. And as I mentioned, again, this is a big topic, a big passage, and limited time uh, to try to deal with it. But I will do my best. And just a little personal information, a little background here on me. I remember back uh, when I was 18 years old and attended a private Christian boarding school up in Asheville, North Carolina. I'd made numerous decisions for Jesus growing up, but my life had not changed. Uh, it was not a 180-degree turn at all in my life. But there in my senior year up in high school, again, hearing uh, more of the gospel, the watering of the gospel from my upbringing, God graced me with repentance, uh, with faith in Christ alone, and has been by God's mercy and grace persevering uh, in, uh, towards Christ since. But in a, as I was a senior in high school, I faced many weighty decisions, as any senior does. I had questions, questions like, what's next? What does God want me to do now with my life? And how will he let me know? Where does he want me to go? How does he want me to serve him? Does he want me to stay single? Does he want me to get married? And if so, to get married, who? To who? What girl? And it better be the perfect one, because if I mess that one up, then I mess someone else's issue up. I thought there was individualistic wills, and there was a certain particular person. I had to find her, and it had to be just the right one. And does he want me to serve him? I was going to go into forestry. I had a fear of man, so I thought I would serve the Lord out in the woods up in a tower and look for smoke. Or did he want me to do something else? And so I asked my Christian uh, teachers uh, at the school how they knew God, what God wanted them to do. And here were some of the answers. Well, God will just let you know. Or he'll lay it on your heart or impress it on your mind. Or if you're just quiet and listen, he'll have that still small voice will whisper in your ear. Or you'll have peace about it. Or just wait on the Lord. Or pray for open doors. As one theologian said, open doors can lead to elevator shafts. And I remember to quote from J.I. Packer that helped bring some understanding to the confusion that's out there on decision-making and the will of God. Wrong ideas about God's guidance lead to wrong conclusions about the right thing to do. Wrong ideas about God's guidance lead to wrong conclusions about the right thing to do. 
Some of God's people uh, have been recorded in Scripture on how they make decisions. And I've been collecting them over the year because this was a very important uh, topic for me at the time of trying to figure out how do we know God's will? How does he let us know? This was uh, in a book by J. Haddon Robinson. And he said, several years ago, I spoke with a woman, a new believer, about a decision she had made to visit some relatives in California. She told me she had not been sure that going to California was in God's will. So one morning, she went to her room and prayed for God's direction. And while she was on her knees, she glanced up at her digital clock, and it read 747. And she knew that that was a type of aircraft, and so she was sure that God had told her through the numbers on the face of the the digital clock to go to California. J. Haddon Robinson says, I must confess, I was not convinced. I would have been more impressed if the clock had read 767. You'll get that probably in a few minutes. No clock ever reads that. Here's another book written uh, for Christian women who are dieting. In chapter 3 at the very end, it says, this is the prayer that the women need to pray And it goes like this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need specific guidance and direction in my life right now regarding my eating habits. You can see I need your help in losing the extra pounds on my body. Show me your will. Please speak to me and show me how much weight you want me to lose. Probably wouldn't be the time to look at 747 on a digital clock. (laughs) Show me how much you want me to weigh. And how many calories I need to eat each day. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. These are the kind of things that are, go around among Christians of practice and, and instruction. Out in California, at one of the churches where I was at, the associate pastor was counseling a married couple who had trouble ever since they were married. Trouble from the beginning. And so the pastor, the associate pastor, asked the couple, what convinced you to marry in the first place? And so the husband recounted how he had gone to his pastor, a different church, seeking to know the will of God for himself and his girlfriend, who is now his wife. That pastor reminded the young man of how Joshua and the Jews had marched around Jericho several times, and how the walls collapsed, Joshua 6.15. Then the pastor suggested that the boyfriend literally walk around his girl several times. And if the walls of her heart collapsed, then he could be sure God wanted him to take her for his wife. So he obeyed. He circled the girl several times and popped the question, have the walls of your heart tumbled? She responded by saying she felt strange inside. That could be dizzy. It could mean get up and run out of there as fast as you possibly can. But no, they both concluded that her heart had fallen in love, and thus they made plans to wed. Obviously, there was no horn blowing. That's when the walls tumbled. But this is is the kind of thing that permeates uh, Christian literature as well as in instruction in different arenas. This is a book written on impressions, on how to tell if it's God impressing something on you or the devil. This writer says you can detect the devil by one of two things. The devil always talks loud. Jesus always talks low and tender. When a spirit makes an impression on my mind, that impression can be made in a loud, boisterous way, or the conviction can come quietly, gently, and sweetly. And so when the devil makes an impression on people's hearts and when he speaks to the soul, he talks loudly. Then some of you are familiar. Uh, I'm old enough to remember promise boxes. Looks like a plastic loaf of bread and it has verses cut out of context and put in there like slices of bread and you buy them at Christian bookstores and every morning you pull out a verse and claim it for the day. It's sort of like the evangelical fortune cookie approach to your day. And then went from promise boxes to promise calendars. And so someone gave me a calendar. 
And I started flipping through it because most of them are out of context. And I came across this. You maybe can't read it from where you're sitting. But the promise of the day is from Luke 4, 7 on March 10th. And it says, so if you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, I looked at that, and for many of you, you'll realize, who said that? That was Satan. Satan tempting Jesus. And Luke 4, 7, they forgot to add that. (laughs) This is not a good promise to claim. Your day will not go well. Praying that. Many, many think if we go by the Scripture alone and our decision-making and the commands and principles will leave out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very active in our lives. He empowers us. He comforts us. He strengthens and enables us. He convicts us of sin. He illumines our minds to understand his word. He dwells within us. He breathed out the Bible. It's a God-breathed book by the Holy Spirit. And this was the normal way for God's people to know what to do and how to do it. And so please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And this was really interesting when Pastor Matt asked me what was my text uh, for this morning. And I said Colossians 1, verses 9 through about verse 20. He said, oh, that's the verse and passage we were looking at in the Sunday school classes So it's God's providential will, I mean, his decreed will, his providence that uh, he wanted us to take a look at this passage this morning. So follow along as I read, and for you who are not in the adult classes, this passage, at least verses 9 through 12, were read. So here's the Apostle Paul, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So let me just start with some background about this church. And I'm going to go rather quickly uh, because of several things to address in this passage as well as the application. But this was a group, the Colossian believers. It was a young church. Paul had never visited there. Epaphras apparently was the one who founded the church. They probably were meeting in Philemon's home. Epaphras brought a report to the Apostle Paul who was in Rome, and he said there were good things going on uh, here at the church, and there are some troubling things going on, and we need help. We need help with issues of conduct We have issues going on in the church with marriage and family issues. We have communication problems and issues we need help on. There's friendship issues, what to put off, what to put on in the Christian life. And we have some teachers, some teachers, who are teaching things that are a combination of Judaistic legalism and Greek philosophy. And so you have this 
young church that had numerous issues, mainly Gentile, uh, as far as uh, nationality, with a Jewish aspect in the congregation. So it was a mixture. And that's why you'll find this Judaistic legalism as well as this Greek philosophy moving in in the first century. Later on, it became known as Gnosticism, but this was just embryonic. It was just starting out. It's interesting, the Gnostics, the knowing ones, didn't know anything. They didn't know the scriptures. This is oxymoron. They used the language of the Bible, which was interesting. Words, key words from the false teaching. Words like light, darkness, wisdom, mystery. They loved the word knowledge. But it was a special knowledge known only to a few. It was intuitive. It wasn't objective. And then they would use the word Christ. But it was a different Christ. It was a different Jesus. Their Jesus was not human. He only appeared human. So you start hearing language and you think, oh, we're all on the same page. But it's not true. I remember on a, going on a plane a trip from Louisville, Uh, to Dallas, and a young couple was sitting next to me, and they saw my Bible. I was grading, so they saw my Bible out, and they said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. And they said, we are too. I said, oh, that's great. We're just newlyweds. We just got married. I said, oh, uh, this is wonderful. This is going to be a great trip. So I was asking some questions, and, and then I said, are you from Dallas? Are you from Louisville or somewhere else? And they said, no, we're from Dallas. And I said, well, what church do you attend? And they said, it's a kingdom hall. And I went, oh, we're talking about a different Jesus. And so I had to sort of reel in some conversation, uh, clarify some terms, and then it was a, a challenging trip the rest of the way. They weren't very happy uh, that I'm saying the, bib- the biblical Jesus was not the Jesus that they were believing in, and they weren't open to hear it either. So the language of the Bible, they were using it. The false teachers were a combination as, again, Judaistic legalism. They were emphasizing circumcision, self-imposed asceticism, certain dietary laws, touch not, uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, chapter 2, verse 18. There were Sabbath laws they had to be keeping, all kinds of various legalistic Uh, laws that they had to keep in order to be saved. And then there's Greek philosophy coming in, this emphasis on subjective experiences. They would claim that there was knowledge superior to the Scripture. They would claim visions, discovery of secrets, even the worship of angels in chapter 2, verse 18. These false teachers believed the Spirit was good, but matter was evil. So it didn't matter how they lived. And so the Spirit of God through Paul writes this letter, and we come to this first point here, the petition. What I like about this, verse 9, is there's just one petition. I don't know, when I'm in prayer meetings and they say, pray for these 16 things, I can't remember all 16 if I don't write them down. This is just one petition. I think we can get this. This will be really good review for everyone uh, and for those who are practicing uh, what this prayer is calling us to. May we excel still more. So here's the petition in verse 9, that you'd be filled with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this is Paul and Timothy. Timothy is in verse 1 included. Epaphras, you could bring him in. He's praying the same thing. Chapter 4, verse 12 says they were all praying this petition that the Colossian believers, and it's very similar to Philippians 1 and Ephesians as well, this was a common prayer that God's people would be under the dominating control of the revealed will of God. The word filled is the word plerao. It is to be under the dominating control of. 
You know the uh, word, how it's used in Ephesians, a parallel epistle. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit under the dominating control, not of alcohol, but of the Spirit. Well, here we are to be under the dominating control of God's Word. We see it just, if you just turn over one page to chapter 3, verse 16, you'll see uh, this fleshed out. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There it is. Let God's word dwell in you richly. It says here, be filled with the knowledge of his will. This kind of brings us to God's will. It's not mysterious when you think about God's will and you read even in, on, in theology books, you'll find two aspects of God's will throughout Scripture. You see his sovereign, decretive will. God's in charge of that. Isaiah 46 tells us in verses 9 through 11 that there's only one God and he declares the beginning to the end and everything in between. And God is working everything according to his will. Ephesians 1.11. God's in charge of that. His decreed will, it's all happening exactly the way he's planned it. He, we trust him for that, but you cannot know God's decreed of will ahead of time. God knows what it is, and he's carrying it out. His providence, he carries out with people and circumstances, he makes sure it happens. I don't know God's decreed will of five minutes from now. Neither do you. But it will happen. And it will happen perfectly the way he's planned it. We can look at God's decreed will, his sovereign will, in the present, and look backward, history. But you can't know it ahead of time. That's his decreed will. He's in charge of that, and he's managing it perfectly. Then you have his revealed will, his preceptive will. That's the scriptures. That he has given to us to know, read, and follow. So when people are saying, do you know what God's will is? Well, what aspect are you talking about? Are you talking about his sovereign, decretive aspect? Or are you talking about his preceptive, revealed will? And this is in the form of commands and principles. There are commands in the Bible, and there are principles in the Bible for God's people. We have to be careful we don't take other things and moving them up to the level of commands. We don't take applications and moving them up to the level of commands. There are commands and for all of God's people. And there are principles for all of God's people. And we apply them in every decision that we're making. We take more time with the commands and principles on the weightier decisions. But we should be having God's word, commands and principles under every step we take. That's a walk of faith. But there's no individual will that's secret. We have to try to figure it out. And for years, I was trying to do that. I was trying to listen for a still, small voice. I was looking at tree limbs in the shape of letters to tell me which way to go and what to do. I mean, it was, it was not good when I look back now. But God was patient. He is with all of his children. He's gracious, and he wants to grow us. I think of when I was looking at the will of God in Scripture, it was not that the will of God was lost. It's revealed where to read it and do it. You think about verses like this, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. In Psalm 143, verse 10, teach me to do your will. There's not verses, go find it. It's, it's revealed. Read it, study it, and do it. That's what I was finding in all the different passages. Matthew 12, 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And Hebrews 10, 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, 
Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and forever and ever. Amen. In 1 John 2, whoever does the will of God abides forever. And when we pray in 1 John chapter 5, if we ask anything according to his will. So his will isn't lost somewhere. God has revealed it in Scripture. We're to read, study, meditate on it, and then by the Spirit's enablement to do it. This is one way that I've tried to think through because it's Spirit-produced. The Spirit breathed out the Word. And it's all wisdom and understanding, which just means Scripture applied. Wisdom is knowledge applied to a moral end. So when you pray for wisdom, you're not praying for an epiphany. You're praying, may the principles and commands that I've read or others can share with me use in a particular situation, like in James chapter 1 in trials. So wisdom, to be wise, is to know God's word and apply it to our walk, to our life. This is a way that I've, uh, I'm kind of visual-minded, but if this was uh, the middle section there was just... Um, an example of God's decreed will, everything, that all events, past, present, and future. God says he declares the end from the beginning and everything in between. And then you have God's decreed will, I mean his revealed will, the scripture, and in it you have commands and you have principles. Principles give you more latitude. Principles are more of a compass. Here's general direction. Commands aren't up for vote. But principles are sort of a compass. Go in that direction. That's a wise direction to head in. And you have freedom in those. If the option's open, you say, well, I have freedom to go this way or that way. I'm not violating any commands. Here are the principles that are guiding me. Uh, And then God can redirect your steps. So it's purposeful freedom because it's not freedom to do whatever you want to do. Our liberty in Christ in Galatians 5.13 is that in love we honor God, but we in love serve one another. It's not just to do whatever you want to do. That's living for Christ. And then what God wants to do in our lives is tighten up our walk to be more biblical. That's growing in Christ. I'm not out looking for tree limbs. I wasn't looking at tree limbs to whether to come here to South Carolina from uh, California. Uh, It's what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say? What are the commands? What are the principles about decision making? And your, your life becomes much more biblical, biblically minded as we're walking in our habit. But this is going to be key in dealing with life issues whether it's family issues, marriage issues, single issues, whether it's looking for a lead pastor, whether it's dealing with false teaching, it's all, what does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? And walking in accordance with it. Now, to be filled and controlled by the revealed will of God will take more than a few minutes a day. Uh, Stats have been done just recently. It's been a few years now by a major evangelical uh, denomination and it was staggering to see how few people spend much time at all as Christians in the, the churches in the, that particular denomination in the word. It was sometimes like 20% read the Bible once a day, 40% read it once a month or maybe not at all. It was, it was staggering, the comments. But then you look at social media and entertainment and you find hours and hours so to be under the, the dominating control of the word of Christ will take more than a few minutes a day. It's spending time in the word and meditating on it and then seeking to apply it. That's the petition, one petition, that we would be filled under the dominating control of the revealed will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Here's the reason why. The purpose. Verse 10, that we, it says here, so that, which is the practical purpose, you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. That's the purpose. Why do you want to know God's will? So that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every respect. Walk was a word used even from the beginning in Genesis. It was a practical, uh, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. But you find Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. You find Enoch walking with God. You find Noah walking with God. Walk was a word used throughout all of the Old Testament. Then you have Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came, took on uh, full humanity. He walked here on earth, and then when he ascended, you find the word walk start back up. Walk in this manner, in Ephesians 4.1. Walk this way. it, It means the habitual daily habits of your thoughts, desires, and behavior. The manner worthy of pleasing Christ. This is really what should be most important in our decision-making. What will please Jesus? You say, well, what about me? By a byproduct, you'll be pleased. But it's mostly about pleasing him in every respect, in all aspects, it says to please him. Now, what will it look like if I'm walking filled with, under the dominating control of the Spirit of God, walking uh, in a manner worthy of the Lord pleasing him. What will it look like? Well, there's four brush strokes. It's like a portrait here, uh, four different uh, participles to the, the grammatical. Uh, two of them are, seem are passive, two of them are active. But it's theology and application. This is what your life will be looking like. If God's word is dominating my life and I'm seeking to please Jesus, here's what your life will begin or increase in looking like. Verse 10, right in the middle, it says you'll be bearing fruit in every good work. This is practical, ongoing care for other people. Practical, ongoing care, the service of good deeds. This isn't just, I'll pray for you. This is, I'm going to get in and help you. This is ongoing, practical care. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 where we're to to be on the hunt to do good for one another and to everyone. We're on the hunt on ways to do good for one another. Secondly, you'll be increasing in the understanding of God himself. When we're in his word, the revealed uh, will of God, the word of God reveals the living word. When we're studying the scriptures, we're going to be getting to know our God so much better. And that's been done in the last several messages on the various names of God. We're getting to know him more. That will be happening. We're knowing him when we are keeping his commandments in 1 John 2, verse 3 as well. Jesus said, don't don't search the scriptures. He said even to the leaders there, you search the scriptures that in them you think you have life. No, he said, it's the scriptures that bear witness of me, he said. So when we're reading the scriptures, it's, Lord, I want to get to know you as we're opening up the scriptures. Thirdly, we'll be growing in our spiritual strength. He says, strengthened with all power in verse 11, according to his glorious might, And then he deals with endurance and patience with joy. You can't do this on your own. One of the songs we just uh, finished singing earlier, it said it's by God's enablement we're able to do it. We, We just can't do what God wants us to do on our own strength, and he has not asked us to do that. We'll be strengthened according to his might. Even down, if you look down chapter 1 to the very end, Verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's a lot of work. But then the next verse, For this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's dependent work, prayerfully done. And this strength, being strengthened with all power, you have endurance, which in Scripture is with difficult circumstances. You'll get stronger in difficult circumstances. And with difficult people, you'll have more patience. Patience is with difficult people. Endurance is with difficult circumstances. And the Greeks who were there, the Gentiles and the Greek influence, they think, well, just grin and bear it. No, 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 no. Do it with joy. This is not stoicism. Do this joyously for the glory of God. The last brush stroke, an ongoing increase in thanksgiving. You'll be more thankful, less complaining. So when you're under the dominating control of the word of Christ, you'll walk in a way that pleases Christ. You'll begin to look like Christ more by the service to good deeds to other people, by increasing in the knowledge of God, by being more stronger and more strengthened in difficult times with difficult people, with joy, and you'll be more thankful. And the scripture tells us here in verses 12 through 14 at least three reasons why we've been blessed with an inheritance. When we're thinking about communion, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, he's delivered us out of darkness verse 13, and into the kingdom of light. We've been transferred from one kingdom to another. If we've repented of our sins, if we've trusted in Christ alone for our salvation, you might be saying, yes, but you don't know what my life is like, how difficult it is. I I don't, but God does. But what we need to remember is anything above hell is a blessing. I'm thankful for God's mercy and grace in providing salvation as he has done. And the last point here, and I'm just going to touch on this, verses 15 through 20, is the preeminence of Christ. This passage, verses 15 to 20, is all about that Christ is first place. You think about it. It's the word of Christ filling us. To please Christ, walk in a way that pleases him, and then start looking like him, be like Christ, his portrait, so that Christ is first in everything. And we see in verse 16, he, all things were made by him and for him, and that Jesus is supposed to have first place, in verse 18, in everything, all of our decisions, all of our life. So much so that reminds us of Philippians 121 where Paul said for me to live is Christ he said it again in 2nd Corinthians 5 9 he said my chief goal in life my chief ambition whether alive or dead is to be well pleasing to him now I want to move to some application wrong ideas remember this wrong ideas about god's guidance lead to wrong conclusions about the right thing to do i've been keeping track over the years of how many ways people uh, i started out with but how many people how they're making decisions on the will of god the revealed will how they are they doing it i don't have time to go over all 23 of these but there are these methods are to be very cautious of. Some of them just please do not do, like misuse the Bible. As if, if you worship me, will all be yours, it's the promise of the day. That's pretty bad. But we don't want to be misusing the Bible. We don't want personal advice from people unless it's checked with Scripture. Godly people can advise you wrongly. Peter advised Jesus wrongly. Circumstances and results shouldn't make your decision. They just bring you up to a fork in the road where you need to make a biblically informed decision. We don't set up conditions like Gideon and the fleece. We don't look and pray for open, closed doors on which house to buy or what car and all these things. Paul used open doors four times, the phrase open doors. And he was just praying for opportunities to witness. That's what he meant it for. 
I just pray for an open door to talk about Jesus. This is the most used method, letter F. People's ideas, inner feelings, their own desires and impressions. This is the most used method. And they put God's name on all of that. God impressed me. God, uh, they put God's name on all of this. God gave me this thought last night. God impressed this on me. It's the most used among God's people, and it's the most missing in the Bible. You just don't find God instructing his children to use this and knowing his will and following it. The normal means in Scripture is reading Scripture, looking at the commands and principles, and making decisions and trusting God. One professor up at Southern Seminary, Dr. Peter Gentry, a astute theologian, Old Testament, he said, this form of taking God's name and putting it on whatever thought or impression you have is a form of identity theft. You are taking God's name and putting it on something God has not put his name on. It's a form, he says, tied to Exodus 20. You're taking God's name in vain. Just say, I had a thought last night. Just say, I had an impression today. And then check it out with Scripture. Don't be taking God's name and putting it on things. Two things. You can't verify it's God. Number two, you have no way to safeguard from error. So taking God's name and putting it on things, there's no way you can verify it's God. And there's no safeguard from error. We need to be very careful on how we use God's name. He's tied it to his word. Led by the Spirit, used twice, just going in the direction of holiness. People say, well, I heard God last night, an audible voice. No way to verify it. Let's go to something more sure. In 2 Peter chapter 1, let's go to something more sure, which is God's word. Experiences need to be all tethered to Scripture. You have, it could be, I mean, audible voice could be your sleep deprivation. It could be side effects of medication. All, all kinds of possible things going on there. People misuse prayer. They listen, see if they can hear God. Prayer is speaking. It's not listening. Four words for prayer in the Bible, they're all you speak. Petitions, thanksgiving, intercessions. Inner peace. Peace isn't used in the Bible for decision-making. Jonah had great peace. He was asleep going in the opposite direction of God's will. I'm not done yet. There's more. Devices. Uh, In times past, God did use different ways uh, and means. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, but he says, but now that's past. Now he has spoken to us through his son. But we're talking about devices for moral decisions. We're not flipping coins for who to marry. Looking for signs is not held in high regard in Scripture. That's walking by sight rather than by faith. People who isolate themselves, they seek their own desire on major weighty decisions. Dreams. We're not told to look for dreams, interpret dreams, or that God speaks to us through dreams. We're not told that at all. It's through his word. Spurgeon said, your dream is your imagination morbidly active. All my dreams are weird. Waiting on the Lord. The word wait, the key word, main word in the Old Testament is trust. Wait means to wrap around and trust God as you move. Don't sit still. Those who wait on the Lord do what? They walk. They run. They mount up with wings. They're not sitting still. So trust God and move on commands and principles. Conscience. Some people are using their conscience as a guide, and it's not a guide. It's a guard. The conscience doesn't produce light. It just lets light in. The light of Scripture is what we should inform our conscience with. Reason. Don't lean on your own reasoning. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Engage your mind, but don't lean on your own understanding. Pseudo-faith 
is faith that's not even based on God's word. Just somebody says something, by faith I'm going to do something, but it's not based on commands and principles. You can see all of these as fasting. Uh, Some people think if they just pray and fast, whatever decision they make is God's will. Well, if it's not patterned on God's commands and principles, you're thinner, but it doesn't mean you're following God's revealed will, the words of Christ. The call, boy, oftentimes that's so subjective. They're missing oftentimes objective principles in the Bible of God's leaders conferring on whether a person is gifted, looking at abilities, looking at character, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, several passages on call, especially to ministry. And then you have people who go, well, I'll just get two or three people and agree on something and we'll get it. Well, that's talking about church discipline where that passage comes up. So it's just misusing scriptures. Some people think, well, prophetic. Well, there's no new revelation being given or overanalyzing the unimportant. Remember, this is a theologian, R.B. Kuyper says, the essence of mysticism is to separate the operation of the Holy Spirit from God's objective word. Once you leave God's word, there's no safeguard And you have no way to verify it's God or what God wants. We just stay back with commands and principles. And that's doing God's will. So what does it practically look like? I'm coming to the conclusion. What does it look like practically? I mean, this, uh, I would say, I venture to say, probably most of you, this is a review. They say, yeah, that's right. This is what I've been doing all my all my Christian life and years is following God's commands and principles and making decisions. And for those who are doing that, excel still more. We can keep growing in this. But this would be a tool. It's a, a way of thinking through how do I make decisions, minor as well as major. Zondra and I have been using this just for years. Of when we're especially the weightier decisions, we go, what are, we gather all of the information at the bottom all of the data about a decision that you can gather, whatever decision that you're faced with, and then with a a spirit, an attitude of, Lord, your will, not my will be done, a humble, submissive attitude before God, whatever God wants in this decision. Then you go right on up into commands. What does God command? Is there any commands at all to not do it or to do it? Oftentimes, there's not, and you move up to the next category, which is principles. There are a lot of different principles in Scripture, stewardship principles. There are working vocation principles. There are relationship principles. There's passages on what to look for in a pastor. There's all kinds of, God has given us light that we need. But we have to mine it out. We have to read and study and apply it, but all kinds of different principles. Then we go from principles, if we still have the freedom there, and say, wow, I I still have various options, then what would you like to do for the glory of God and in love and service to other people? What would you like to do? Keep the desire more to the end, not driving it from the beginning. And then make the choice. Unless there's some hesitation, you think I could be sinning. You don't want to, it has to be done in faith. It can't be, your conscience can't be uh, tied up there. So Romans 14, it needs to be done in faith. Maybe more information needs to be gathered. It's not complicated, but it's challenging. You can see why the Spirit of God through Paul And Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians was saying, I'm praying this regularly for God's people. If they have the word of Christ dwelling in them richly, controlling them, if they're seeking to walk in a manner that pleases Jesus, then they're going to be looking more like him in these four different categories, and Christ will be preeminent. He'll be at first place in their decision-making process. 
And when we make decisions like that, we trust God that a man's heart plans his way, but God redirects his steps. And many of us have had that experience. We plan biblically the commands, principles, and God has turned us. He's shut something down, and now we have to make another biblically informed decision. He'll redirect your steps. And you say, well, I've not been following the commands and principles of my decision-making. I've really missed what God has wanted in my life. And be careful with that one. You've never missed God's decreed will. You're not on plan B, C, D. There's only one plan in your life, and you're in it. God's sovereign. You've never, never missed his decreed sovereign plan for your life. But what he wants us to do is tighten up our walk of faith according to Scripture. That's what he holds us responsible for. He'll take care of the decreed sovereign part. He holds us responsible for what is revealed. Dr. Adams writes, God's Spirit works immediately in and through his word. The Holy Spirit is uniquely related to the Bible. It's his book. He moved holy men to write it. And now that he has completed the process, he does not abandon the Bible, but uses it as the means by which he works in the lives of believers. J.C. Ryle, back in the 1800s, he wrote, The Bible must be our standard. Whenever we are confronted with a question about Christian practice, we must apply the teaching of the Bible. Sometimes the Bible will deal with it directly, the commands, And then we must, uh, he says, uh, often the Bible will not deal with it directly, and then we must look for general principles to guide us. It does not matter what other people think. Their behavior is not a standard for us, but the Bible is a standard for us, and it is by the Bible that we must live. Praise God that he is a gracious, forgiving God. When we confess our sins, when we violated Scripture, he is gracious to forgive us. We repent and seek to follow him by the help of the Holy Spirit. He is very gracious, but he wants nothing more than for us to be filled with the word of Christ, to walk in a manner that pleases Christ, so that we might look more like Christ, that he might be preeminent. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. What a a wonderful section of Scripture that just exalts Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we just pray, Lord, if there's someone here this morning who says, I, I, I want to know what God's will is for my life, and they're unsaved, it would be to repent. Repent of sin. Repent of living for self. Trust in Christ and what he has accomplished on their behalf. Trust and follow him. Lord, I pray that would happen even today for the rest who are believers Pray that you might encourage us to, to tighten up our walk, to be much biblically, more biblically informed, to spend more time in your revealed will, studying it, reading it, meditating on it with the goal of applying it. May we do this by the help of your spirit for your glory in Jesus' name.